Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that is not afraid to review X-rated content. I'm James. I'm Dan. This week, we're going to talk about what we've been watching. We have some real news, and our main review is X, the new horror film directed by Ty West. Ah, of course. I was a bit worried about you getting to your watch list then for a moment, but uh, we're safe. I understand what you did there. James, how the devil are you? I'm okay. I survived my tram journey back from our cinema trip. It wasn't without minor incident. On the way to you, someone got on the tram and sat on the opposite aisle to me, facing me, and waved his e-cig at me. And I think said, have you got a light? Which, do you need a light for an e-cig? No, you don't, no. Right. no. Well, I had my headphones in, so I just shook my head at him. And he had a scar over his eye, and it didn't look like he could see out of the eye. He had the hood up and he had the look and I could see his legs shifting around and I thought he's going to pounce on me. So I moved to another seat. The seat that I moved to, the guy in front of me, smelled really, really bad. So I had to move again. Uh, and on the way back, some shouty, meth-addicted couple got on the tram, which was something. And then the person who sat in front of me, he absolutely stank of cigarettes. So I had to move again. So... I love the general public. The no, great. you don't. Keep listening, but I mean, public transport. Yeah, it leaves a lot to be desired, doesn't it? I, I'm using public transport tomorrow for the first time in bloody ages. Does it still smell of piss all the time? Trams don't smell of piss. Oh, well, I'm getting the train, so I would... Okay. We got, we got the train to Liverpool a few weeks ago, and that, that actually was fine. That was fine. I don't know why I'm stuck on this detail, but the guy who smelled then, what did he smell of? Just B.O., body oil. Oh. oh, yeah. Yeah, it's not great. Um, and I know it wasn't a personal thing, by the way, um, and you, you're fully entitled to that opinion, but the guy who smelled the cigs, then you had to sit next to me, who smokes in a cinema for two hours. That must have been painful as well. Yeah. So I apologise. Well, I didn't notice. I never noticed with you. You mustn't smoke as much as you think. I'll take that as a reason to continue and not quit. Very good. Glad to hear that you survived. I did survive. But have you survived this week's streaming content that you've been watching? What have you been watching? First off, Wisting or Visting. And that's all I've been doing around the house since I've watched this programme is just randomly going, Visting. And my missus is like, what are you talking about? And it's just, I love the way that these characters say the name Wisting. It's a Norwegian show, if you hadn't guessed, from that bang-on accent that I did there. And it's actually the most expensive Norwegian TV production in history. It's a pretty standard Nordic crime thriller, and Wisting, who's the main detective, he's investigating a series of murders. And it turns out that it's an American serial killer in Norway He's been hiding there for 20 years. He's escaped to the FBI. And maybe he's assumed the identity of somebody within this kind of close-knit community. Because it involves the FBI, Carrie-Anne Moss just turns up randomly. And I thought, oh, I don't think that was going to happen. That's a bit weird. And she manages to annoy quite a lot of the old-school detectives um, because she's the FBI. She knows what she's doing. Rubs them up the wrong way. 
what I liked about this, or not liked as such, but I didn't see it coming, it finishes its main story arc five episodes into a 10-episode series. And I thought, well, where's it going to go here? This is finished. We're done. And then it goes off on another tangent and it becomes about, oh, did we perhaps frame somebody for a crime they did not commit? And then it's all about uncovering what actually went down there. It, they do manage to keep it enticing throughout the whole thing. And it does kind of circle back to that original storyline with the serial killer. And it does so in a very tidy fashion. I, I just really like this snowy landscape and, you know, the characters that we get here. It's um, It does have that thing where the main detective, his family, get involved with what's going down. And it's like, that's very convenient, isn't it? But... It was still entertaining nonetheless. So uh, Wisting on... Well, in fact, it's not even available. You can't watch it anywhere because it disappeared midway through me watching it from BBC iPlayer. But I believe you can get it on Sundance now on Amazon Prime. I, I did watch it illegally. There you go. Cat's out the bag. It wasn't my fault it disappeared. I watched it illegally the remaining few episodes. That is strange it disappeared halfway through. So you were watching it on its last day that it was available on BBC iPlayer. It would appear so, even though it said something like 80 days left. So I don't know what went on there, but yeah, they've took it off. Oh, okay, that's a shame. Sounds very good, though. Yeah. What else? Wisting. Have... Wisting. Is that spelled with a W? <laughs> yes. Yeah. What else have you been watching? Pieces of her. Pieces of her. Female. Must say that because of my accent. People just say, pieces of her, why are you watching that? As in follicles. Anyway, another piece of Netflix content that was all the rage for two weeks uh, when it was released a few months back, and now it's just disappeared out of the conversation. And I'm sure the majority of people have forgotten all about it. And so did I, which is why I've not reviewed it on this podcast. But hey-ho, I needed something for this week. Does it deserve to be forgotten about? Mostly, yeah. But only because I like to troll Netflix a bit, despite being a devout subscriber. It's not terrible. It's entirely watchable, but it isn't a show that anybody's going to be thinking about come the end of the year. Or, in fact, now. Uh, I'd say it was probably in the sort of space, same space as Stay Close, you know, the Harlan Coburn thing with James Nesbitt. Just fine, but not great. The production values, though, it doesn't look cheap, but when it comes to the plot, it likes to think it's more mysterious than it actually is. And as for the plot, it's about a woman played by Tony Collette who she just happens to be in the wrong place at the wrong time at this diner or cafe. I can't even remember now. And somebody comes in with a gun and she is forced to stand in the way of him and then becomes a sort of unintentional hero by murdering him with a knife in a very, very weird and specific way. The news and the media are all over it. And that then brings about these demons from a past. I'll cut to the chase. She's been in witness protection for years and suddenly her identity is out there or her image. There is a lot of complaints about the daughter in this. We were just saying before we started recording about how every news media outlet likes to put this. Everyone's saying the same thing about as clickbait and I always fall for it. And it happened with this show with everyone saying the same thing about the daughter character in pieces of her. They're just saying she's annoying. I don't think she's that annoying in it. She makes some pretty questionable decisions, I would say, but it turns out her, her whole life has been a lie and her mother has never told her what her sort of origins are or, or backstory there. So I'd be a bit annoying too, I think, in that instance. 
one thing I did like about the, the end of this is it doesn't wrap everything up perfectly. Not in an annoying, oh, well, what about that? What about that? It's just a make your own decisions. It's pretty ambiguous. And that was fine. It didn't feel like, oh, we're setting up for a second series. But it turns out, I think they are, because it did so well and was in the top 10 for quite a good few weeks, they are going to do a second series. Interesting twists and turns. I'm not demanding that second series. I'll happily just leave it there. It will fill a void of time if you need it to. That's the kindest thing I can say. Okay. Apparently, Pieces of Her is a standalone novel, so are they going to make up new content for the second series? Probably. I think so. I think so. And that's that's the bit that caught me off guard a bit because it is based on a novel by Karen Slaughter, and I've read a few of her books, I think, and they're all very murder mystery. This isn't. This is more of a spy espionage sort of thing which I wasn't expecting. Okay. Yeah. Pieces of her. Pieces of her on Netflix. On Netflix. Not to be confused with Pieces of a Woman, which is what I thought you were talking about until about halfway through that. Pieces <laughs> of a Woman is the film with Vanessa Kirby in. Yeah, which is a dramatic, emotional slog, I'm led to believe. Do not get the two confused. This yeah. is a lot more breezy. I did get confused when you just dismissively said, eh, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's some of the Google uh, summary for pieces of her. A woman pieces her uh, pieces together her dark past and a second small town. Brings hidden threats and deadly secrets to light, which sounds like a Harren Corbin summary. Yeah, secrets very much. Come to light from a hidden past. Uh, I'm trying to think of all the other Harlan Corbin tropes to just play on that joke a bit more, but I'm struggling. I can't remember. You expertly summed it up a few weeks ago, I remember. Good selection there of TV. Next bag, if you ask me. But yeah, yeah no, I'll take it. Thank you. I also watch Fresh on Disney+. Plus. I'm not going to talk about it now because I want you to watch it and I want us to talk about it as a twosome. But all I'll say is read nothing, go and watch it. Okay. We might have to do it as a main review if, if nothing comes out this week. Yeah, possibly. Anyway, James, what about you? What have you been watching this week? We are not sponsored by Apple TV Plus, but I am going to do Apple TV Plus again, just for one. Slow Horses, the spy thriller dark comedy starring Gary Oldman. And it tells the story of Jackson Lamb, who heads up a team of British intelligence agents who serve in the dumping ground department of MI5, Slough House, due to their career ending mistakes. It also stars Jack Lawden, who I recognised, and I think I recognise him from Dunkirk. He was in Fighting With My Family as well, but I think Gary Oldman is the big draw. Anyway, it has a really strong opening scene where Jack Lawden is, is trying to tail a terrorist in an airport slash train station terminal, and the mission doesn't end well. You find out a bit more about it later on. So it has a very serious opening, but then it mixes that in with... Dark comedy as well, like the Jack, the uh, Jackson Lamb character, Gary Oldman. He's heading up this team of misfits, and he's really horrible to them all the time. And he's very funny, and he just makes witty, dismissive remarks to them constantly. But there's also this obviously very serious espionage plot developing as well to do with like neo Nazis, I think, and a, and a, and a dodgy journalist and, and kidnappings. So it mixes together in a really 
unique way that I personally have not seen before. I don't think it will be out of place on the BBC because it is based in the UK. It reminds me a little bit of the thick of it, not because of the comedy and the swearing, but just how it's a more look at the mundane work that goes on in this particular field. To give you an example of the mundanity, they have the Jack Lowden character searching through rubbish and that's a plot thread that goes throughout the first episode. So there's all this actual espionage going on, but there's the fact that he's been searching through rubbish on the floor of the office and they keep asking him to clear it up, but he keeps forgetting. I've enjoyed it. I'm liking it. I've not seen this mix of legit spy thriller with dark comedy before. Very good. Rubbish, by the way, if you're an American listener, also known as garbage. Yeah. Um, not a horse in sight then? No horse. No misleading title. I saw this. I very nearly watched it. And I think, given that recommendation, I will be doing. Just speaking of Apple TV, I watched We Crashed and, well, first episode. And I completely understand where you're coming from about Jared Leto's face. There's something not quite right about it. Yeah. And I, I like the relationship stuff because I think he's such an annoying little me that she grounds him a bit and makes him a bit more appealing. Otherwise, I think I'd just say, do one, you're just a prick. But anyway, sorry for the sidetrack there. What else have you been watching? I was looking forward to The Bubble, which is the Judd Apatow-directed film on Netflix starring Karen Gillan. I thought the trailer looked funny, and I went to watch it. And there was just something about it that rubbed me the wrong way. It opens up with a scene where these celebrities, these actors are coming in to this hotel because they're going to be in a COVID secure bubble to make a film. And there's just totally predictable COVID jokes with people being tested and stuff. And I just didn't think it was funny. Not good to judge a film only after watching five minutes, but I just felt like this is is not not doing it for me. So I scrapped that and I'm going to push the emergency emergency review button and talk about Vida instead, which is a drama that ran from 2018-2020. Ran for three seasons. It's now finished. It has a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. But what is Vida and why did I go back in time to watch it? When we watched Scream, Melissa Barrera was the lead in it. And I thought, oh, who is this person? She seems to not have been anything in anything before. She was in this program called Vida that is available on Stars Play in the UK. 100% Rotten Tomatoes rating. Hmm, this must be good. And it is about two Mexican-American siblings from East LA, that's Los Angeles. Party girl Lynn, played by Melissa Brera. She lives a carefree life, and she couldn't be more different from her sister Emma, played by Michelle Prada. And the opening scene is their mother dies, that they're kind of estranged from, and then these two sisters return to their hometown to run this bar that their mother owned. And it's, it's a bar on the ground floor, but there's also flats above it. So they have to run this whole building. So they're, they're like landlords for flats and a bar. I binged all three seasons a while ago, and it's because it is actually brilliant. And I'm not surprised it's got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. It has some of the most fully realised characters that I've ever seen in a drama that initial setup of Lynn is the party girl and Emma's more serious, like she's from a more business background. It throws them together. They have a totally believable dynamic. They react to things in a way that makes complete sense for their characters, but they both make massive mistakes as well. They're deeply flawed, but also totally sympathetic. Like Lynn is going around doing credit card fraud for ages 
just because she can't give up her lifestyle. And Emma is very serious on the business side, so she doesn't really have any sympathy sometimes for the people around her, even though she really should. And the standout thing about it that is most talked about, I think, is that Mexican-American angle. It's a representative programme. It's about that Mexican-American culture and, and heritage and these two sisters coming back into this community that's trying to fight off gentrification and they have to like rediscover their roots via their dead mother's wife and there's people protesting against the gentrification but they're not just presented as stereotypes you get to learn about more about their like motivations and how maybe what they're trying to do isn't going to work and there's all like conflict about how they should protect their cultural heritage and it's such a good insight into something which has got nothing to do with me. I live in the UK. The Mexican-American culture is not something that I would ever really encounter or go out of my way to watch a programme about. But I found this programme via Scream and it's brilliant. Melissa Barrera having completely opposite effects on you and I. I watched Scream and thought she was the most empty, soulless person I've ever met and thought her performance was dismal. Uh, but you were inspired and it seems like that paired off. How can we watch this? It's on Stars Play which you can subscribe through Amazon. And I don't know why, I was under the impression this is foreign language. Is it in Spanish or is it a mix of both? It's in English. Oh, right, okay, there you go. The vast majority is in English. But again, with this whole cultural heritage thing, there is this idea of whether or not the younger generation can speak Spanish. Melissa Barrera, the party girl, she can't speak Spanish. She barely can and she feels guilty about it. And she ends up being ostracized because of that. But Michelle Pratt is like, well, I can speak Spanish, obviously. Why can't you? Even though she's the one that's more detached from her culture because she's more in like the serious business side. So Bubble on Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I might give that a watch. You so hot on that, were you then? At least that's my uh, impression. I is this gonna make it into your top five? It, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be eligible because it's it's too old. If, you'd have, if I'd have watched the third season in 2020, it probably would have been in the top five for 2020. Anything else? That is all from me. Well, let's get on down to real news town. That didn't rhyme the way that I was hoping it would. It doesn't matter. It's the real thing. It is now real, real news, news. Morbius is not the main review this week. We're not going to review it. When we watched X two days ago, we said, let's not bother. I'm not going to watch it. I think we agreed on that. However, I was surprised to see that it's opened quite strongly, according to Deadline.com, with a range of between $38 million and $41.5 million, which apparently is a healthy result, considering where cinemas are at right now. And it isn't that far off from where Uncharted opened. And something I didn't know is that Morbius only, only cost $75 million to make. Is that cheap? I suppose it is for a superhero film. Yeah, no, it is. So I think in full context provided by this Deadline.com article, it might not be a complete miserable failure if it's making that much money and it didn't cost that much money to make, but still 17% on Rotten Tomatoes, 5 out of 10 on IMDb. That is dismal. Yeah, and I've, I, I'm aware of people, actual human people, who have watched this. And I, th- I think the conversation just stayed there. I've watched it. That's it. No one had anything to say about it. <laughs> so, yeah, I can't say I'm 
very intrigued. Although, if it's, I feel like this is doing less well from a critical point of view than something like Venom, which was a bit of a good old time. And I thought, well, if it's that, I might bother, but it doesn't even seem like that's the consensus around it. It's more yeah. that it's just bad. It's not even a good old time or give it a break. It is just bad. It's got 65% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, but I continue to believe that since they changed, I don't know if you know this, but they changed the audience rating so that you have to have you have to have a verified ticket purchase to make a review to some extent. Sure. And I think studios just buy tickets to then make the Rotten Tomato reviews. And that's just part of the marketing budget. That's my conspiracy theory. Would not shock me. Because it can be the final nail in a film's coffin, that can't it, if yeah. your uh, score is low. So, yeah, seems tactical and fully within the realms of possibility. Yeah. I might have to take something back that I said, though. I said that after Spider-Man Far From Home, the MCU might go into decline and maybe Sony will take Spider-Man back, make a Spider-Sony-verse, which is a bit more streamlined, and it'll be better than the MCU because they just get to focus on Spider-Man and his villains. I don't think that's the case, really, based on this evidence, based on Mobius. It's not going to happen. Might have just been stumbling block, but I, th- I think I'm with you on that one. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. Anything else? We'll do Will Smith, briefly talk about it, but then that, that'll be it. Variety.com has an article that says, can Will Smith recover from the Oscars slap fallout? And doesn't actually answer that question. It just says, yeah, it's really bad. And it says that he's got some upcoming projects. Doesn't say that any of them are actually cancelled. So it seems like it still isn't quite clear after he's done all of his apologies. And I was thinking about Tom Cruise and about how he had to recover from bad PR. But there's a really good sentence at the end of this article from a PR expert. And he says... People have been comparing it to Tom Cruise, but that was Tom Cruise hurting Tom Cruise. This hurt other people, which I think is a good point. Very good point. Jumping on a couch is very different to jumping on someone's face. He didn't jump on his face, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, Essentially just reiterated exactly what you've just said, so that was pointless. Um, There has already been fallout, hasn't there? He's resigned from the academy, as he probably should have done. And just a tidbit of information that I read and can't substantiate, he had a Netflix project and apparently it's in limbo land a bit at the minute because everyone's just waiting to see. What's everyone else going to do? Is anyone else going to forgive him? Because if they do, we will. Because it's just very much sheep mentality. Put your neck on the line, James, because I will. We don't want to discuss this week after week because it, it will continue. It'll carry on this conversation, no doubt. Where do you think this should end? And where should Will Smith end up because of this? Go on, say it. Where should it end or where do I think it will end? Bit of both. (laughs) Just to be awkward. Um, It should end with a reconciliatory scene between Will Smith and Chris Rock at next year's Oscars. And by that time, Will Smith will be newly single. Where it will end is that he'll get forgiven. Mel Gibson came back. He'll get forgiven. It'll be forgotten about. Worst things have happened and been done. My worry is, though, the timing. It's such a contentious time period at the minute. I feel like you can't come back from something like this, and I don't think that's quite right. What the guy did, ridiculous, very poor judgment, bad. Not excusing it. 
but he's made a mistake. He's made a catastrophic mistake. And I just wish there was a bit of goodwill left in humanity to not pounce all over it and just say, end him, just end him. Because <laughs> that's what I feel like the majority of people are saying. I, I hope that he can make a very, and he has already apologised, but you know, you're going to have to say it at least another 78 times. Will Smith, you will. I'm sorry. Let's just move on. Let him have made a mistake because we all as humans do. That's how I wanted to end. Personally, I think his career is over. Okay. And I hope I'm wrong. Last, last word on the topic. You know how people have said, oh, it's taken, it's taken attention away from the actual award winners. If this hadn't happened, there wouldn't be articles on the BBC News front page about Calder being re-released in theatres, which is happening. Like the level of interest in the actual winners will be the same, which is to say not very much because no one cares. I, th- I think I'm in agreement with you on that one. It is very much news of the moment for a day and then it's forgotten about. So, yeah, pretty much on the same page with you there. Let's see if we're on the same page. Our main review. Hello, I'd like to order an opinion, please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Hold me sit back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here's us some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. This week's main review is X. You don't want to leave, do you? People's eyes are gonna pop out of their damn skulls when they see this. A group of actors sets out to make an adult film in rural Texas under the noses of their reclusive horse. But when the elderly couple catches their young guests in the act, the cast find themselves in a desperate fight for their lives. Spoilers! Daniel, what did you think of X? Ty West, director Ty West. This is him returning to his horror roots. I don't expect anybody really to be familiar with him as director, but he's definitely earned a bit of a cult following due to films like The House of the Devil and The Innkeepers, which The Innkeepers wasn't very good. He also did another film when I checked him out on IMDb that I'd forgotten I'd seen, but it's actually quite good. It's called The Sacrament, and it's basically a film about Jonestown and the Jonestown Massacre, but it just doesn't use Jim Jones or... Jonestown is the same. Anyway, we're not here to talk about that. Sorry, I've gone off on one. One of the things that geared me up for this was the positive reviews I was hearing about it. And that's because I know it's a horror and it's just a bit uncommon these days to have a horror film that is well regarded. So hearing that buzz made me think there's got to be something unique or special about it to be receiving such praise. And whilst that might have worked in terms of getting me into the cinema... I do think that that was detrimental to my viewing experience, at least initially, because the film ended, and as is obligatory if we go to the cinema together, we turned to each other and you asked me what I thought about it. And I said, yeah, I thought it was all right. I was a bit underwhelmed at that point in time. And I think because of that positive feedback, I was expecting this to be more original than it actually is. For the most part, it follows a lot of your standard horror tropes, especially when it comes to the setting. We've got 1970s Texas, and that just can't help but evoke this Texas Chainsaw Massacre sort of vibe. You know, you've got, like, scenes from the local gas station with some 
unsuspecting weird or local who's like, oh, why are these kids here? And then you've got a small town sheriff and all, all that jazz. But at the same time, I did admire about this film the fact that it, it does not rely on jump scares and, and dive headfirst into the blood and guts of it all. It's a very purposely paced film where you get this like almost idealistic, peaceful setting and then these long periods of quiet during scenes. But rather than it all seeming, you know, quite tranquil, it for me anyway, effectively like gains this unnerving atmosphere where you just know that things aren't right and it's going to go south. I think it plays on that too. If you've bought a ticket, chances are you know full well where this is going to end up because it's horror film. But it definitely takes its time setting the scene. You get to know the characters a bit more. Okay, there are pretty much stereotypes, but there's enough about each of them that does make you slightly care about what happens to them in the end. And whilst I've kind of just bashed it for not being original, it isn't completely without something new and interesting to say. I think when it comes down to the horror aspects and when it arrives, and that kicks in probably halfway through, I think, from memory, the motivations for what triggers those events and why these people are targeted is something that I've not seen in a horror film before, and it definitely added some depth to the villains that most films don't even bother with. At first, I thought it was just okay, but on reflection, I think it's a film that has more layers than I gave it credit for. I can't say I've managed to work out what those layers are in their entirety. I'm still stumbling my way through that, but I think a repeat viewing would actually reward me, and that is a sign of a good film with probably a lot more to say than 95% of other horror films that we tend to see these days. So that is my thoughts. James, what about you? I too was excited by the gradually building buzz. I think that's why we've decided to review it. A bit late now as it seems to be on its way out of cinemas. But despite getting on board with the hype, I hadn't seen a trailer or really any images of it and... I had not heard of Ty West, so I'm like the people that you were alluding to. I'm not familiar with his work. Mm. And unlike you, I'd not seen loads of horror films like this. So I think I was maybe more in a position to like it from the start. It did have that very familiar vibe, though, that you've, you've talked about, the setting and the time period. But then making an adult film made it seem different enough. And it does have a very slow build to the horror and you get a lot of time with the characters. And that was setting it apart, I think. And when the horror does come, again, like you've said, it does really work because you've had so much build-up and so much tension that when the explosion does come, even though you're expecting it, it is still quite shocking and it is very graphic. The other thing that made it stand out was the shots, the camera, the cinematography. I think there are some memorable cinematic moments like the slow alligator chase during the skinny dipping dancing in front of blood-soaked car headlights and the scenes from the adult film within the film again to see those as well in, in the 70s style mia goth jenna ortega and britney snow the three female leads i think they were on different stages of corruption in their lives like jenna ortega is the most innocent one britney snow is more experienced and jaded and mia goth is that more in the middle and i think they had a good dynamic and that's only something that i thought about after i'd seen it that maybe that's what they were going for you had these three people at different stages the old people were very creepy played by younger actors but in 
makeup. I did think it was it was a bit distracting because you could see it was old people makeup, but that did also make it more creepy. And every time they were on screen, I felt uncomfortable. It it does a really good job of introducing them as shadowy figures in the distance. And for me, it all added up to more than just a standard horror film. I think the last one that we watched was Halloween, which was so basic and bad. But this has enough going on, like with the adult film within a film, the dynamic between the main characters, some interesting shots, really creepy old people. It all added up to more than I was expecting, more than a standard horror film. And there's a break in the middle just to sing Landslide by Fleetwood Mac, which was unique. And I think that alone is what sets it apart from normal horror films. Very well said. And I'm really glad that you pointed out the cinematography. I've neglected to mention it at all. But there's, um, even from the opening shot, I think it is, where you're like, oh, we're in 1970s Texas. And you get this like four by three shot, it would seem, where you just see the house where all this is going to take place. And then the camera just like zooms in. It turns out it's in a doorway and not shot in four by three. And I thought, oh, that's quite neat. I've never seen that done before. Uh, And there's plenty of scenes like that, to be honest, where he makes good use of the camera. So thank you for drawing attention to it because it is very, very slickly shot. I agree with that. I don't think this is a spoiler, and it's really not much of an observation, but there is a guy who walks around later in the film in just his underpants. I felt so distracted by that scene because it seems like he's wearing an adult nappy. Like the bulge around his... I'm not trying to get graphic, but it it, it looks like a heavily soiled nappy. Did you think that, or was it just yeah, me? Yeah, it was distracting, but I think it was intentionally done for laughs that he would be sleeping in something like that. I think there was a laugh in the cinema that had seven people in the screening. There was, there was a laugh. Yeah, there was um, there was an older couple as well in front of us, and I thought, can they take this? Can they deal with this much sex and violence? And hats off to them, they stayed till the end. Yeah. Good on you. Yeah, I don't know whether this is going into spoilers. To I don't know, I think it's talking about spoilers. I'm not gonna. I'm I'm going to talk about that in spoilers. I'm going to try and do some actual analysis of themes but i think it might be best left in spoilers okay well should we go there now yes but first daniel would you recommend x yes i'm a horror fanatic and you're not and like you said there's enough going on here that's different that warrants a watch so yes sorry for not just saying yes what about you yes (laughs) let's go into spoilers Bruce Willis, real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. This band of filmmakers go to a secluded location. There's an Airbnb in in 1979 to make an adult film, and there's an old couple living there. After some character development, the old woman is desperate for affection from her husband, and she's rejected by the director of the film. She stabs him in the neck. And she then kills the film's executive producer. And then the old husband gets involved and he also starts killing people. So the the three men get killed off. And then Britney Saw is pushed into the lake and killed by an alligator. Jenna Ortega is locked in the basement, but escapes and that gets shot at point blank range with a shotgun, which I thought was funny. It had surely was being played for us. But Mia Goth survives. 
the old man dies of a heart attack and the old the woman, she fires the shotgun, but the recoil knocks her over. She breaks her hip. Mia Goth drives a truck over the old woman's head and drives off. Top of and your it, head again. Yeah, a twist, twist. We see a pastor delivering a religious, I don't know, a sermon on a TV in the gas station. That same TV broadcast is in the old people's house. At the end of the film, it is revealed that Mia Goth's character is the daughter of that pastor. And in a post-credit scene that wasn't in our screening, Mia Goth is in a prequel film where she plays the young version of the old woman after World War One. And she goes around killing people. And Mia Goth is actually also playing the old woman in this film, but in heavy makeup. Which, as soon as you know, you can tell, but you wouldn't, you know, in the moment in the film. It is. I agree with what you said, where it is distracting, but not in a, this is bad makeup. It's just, you can tell something's not quite right, which, again, probably added to that eeriness. of Yeah. Of, of you know the characters. scene where Mia got where Maxine, Mia Goth, she's talking to Pearl. Pearl says, oh, I used to be a dancer. I used to be like you. And at that moment, I thought, is she something just flickered in the back of my head? Just thinking, is that Mia Goth in makeup? But then I forgot about it. And then she shows pictures on the wall of a younger self. And I thought, are those pictures of Mia Goth? But then you, you don't like think about it and then you move on. But then I think in retrospect, actually, yes, it was explicitly telling you like, yes, we are the same person, but not in like a time travel multiverse type where it was just I think it was just more of an artistic thing and that's why I said I, I think I'd like to at some point watch this again because I bet there is little bits that you can pick out and go oh yeah you're not into that here and I didn't see that the first time around one thing that I liked but then wish they'd gone a bit more towards or committed to should I say it's kind of implied earlier on that the male figure of this weird old couple, he is the one to be scared of. Even to the point where there's a, there's a scene, the one that you were just talking about with Mia Goth and other older Mia Goth having a lemonade together. And she's like, oh, he's arrived. You best go. So it's really, really heavily implied that he is the aggressor. And then I thought it was a really nice Mr. X where you find out that actually it's her who's a homicidal maniac, not him. And I, I really wasn't expecting it for one, but I just appreciated how different that was. But then the husband kind of gets involved and I thought, I wish it was exclusively her. But I suppose it's not just he kills out of necessity, really, rather than a desire to. So it still it still kind of works. I just wish it was all the woman. What do you mean the necessity? Necessity because he has to follow Mop up her shit. Right, okay. I see. Yeah, I think that's right. When, uh, when, 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 when? when the first kill takes place. So it's when the young director, General Ortega's boyfriend, RJ, he tries to escape in the truck. Turn the music off. We're trying to yeah. make a, a, an escape. When you see old Pearl, she has a hand behind her back. And I thought, oh, she's probably holding a knife and he's going to stab her. Did you, did you notice that? Yes, I did. I did yeah. notice that, yeah. It was still shocking, though, when he got killed. Oh, it's brutal. The, the amount of neck blood so we should talk about talk about the violence so the amount of stabbing that his neck takes and you see it all coming apart and then general ortega gets locked in the basement and then when she's trying to unlock the the latch he what does he use is it like he just is it just the butt of the rifle he smashes a finger up and you see like her bones sticking out of her finger there's some brute and then the, the alligator kill that goes on for a while and the, the stab in the eye head crushed by tires it's all there 
Yeah, I think it was the head being driven over by the car that was the most shocking to me. I thought, wow, you didn't even cut away. Bam, like a watermelon. Uh, it explodes before your very eyes and uh, very rewarding it is if you're into that sort of thing. And it doesn't hold back on the, the nudity either. Like both things are there. It is, it is a true adult film. It isn't overly gratuitous, though, is it, the, the, the sex? I think there's enough in it to say this is this is an adult film that we're making. Sex is a, is a theme in this film, and you're going to see just enough of it, but they don't lean into it too much, which, which is annoying. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you want to hear about my themes? Go on. Right. My thoughts haven't fully formed on this, but I think something that's going on is that these young characters, they have that talk when they're singing Landslide about, oh, you're, we're all still young, let's just live for now and do things for now. And then you've got these old people that disapprove and they're killing them. So I thought some, what was going on was these young people are trying to live for now and maybe be young forever and escape from age and time, but reality catches up with them and wipes them all out. So I don't think the film is saying, oh, live a slow life, don't make porn films. It's just within the confines of this film, there's this sort of brutal reaction to them trying to live recklessly and they all get killed off because of it. Yeah, to probably add to that a bit, because I think it does relate. I tried articulating what I thought was going on when we left the cinema. I didn't I didn't say it very well and I'm probably going to do the same now, but... Let's let's not lie. There's a certain draw to this film that is about, oh, the film in a sex film. Let's go and see how that all plays out. And you as an audience member, you're going in and you're expecting to see that and you get to see it. But then the fact that this woman, this old woman, is horny as hell. When you get to see the exact same thing that I've just alluded to, but in old people form with two old people having sex, it is instantly grotesque. Like, I just wanted to look away. And I think it is trying to put up a mirror to the audience to say, well, this is what you asked for, and I'm showing it you. Why are you being ageist? It's not quite as thingy as that, but do, do you know what I mean? That, you that's, know what you mean. Yeah. I liked that. I thought it worked from a horror angle as well in the fact that it's so repulsive to me, but it is essentially just two old people having sex. Yeah, and the the old guy, Howard, he's repulsed by what they're doing, by them making an adult film. And like he reacts to that. There's, there's definitely there's something going on. There's, some, there's more going on than just, oh, it's a horror film. And I think that's why it's got the positive reviews. And obviously, we're not mentally equipped to just express it. <laughs> but I think there's there's other hints at it. So there's only two like classic horror film screams in the film. And I think the circumstances, I think, are significant. So number one, Jenna Ortega is in the basement and she sees this body that's strung up and dead. And it's like a horrible horror image. She screams at it and then... About 10 minutes later, Mia Goth is in bed and she turns to see this old naked woman and oh, being old is disgusting. Uh, and then she screams at that. And I think the fact that it's those two things that get the scream, horrible murder and horrible old person, there's something going on there. Yeah, I think you've said it in a better way than I, I did. So thank you for that. And I, I did love that scene that you just referred to there where she crawls into bed naked with Mia Goth and starts. She's full of blood as well. She's just murdered somebody and she's just caressing her body. It was so and creepy. Very, very effective. And then does that 
No, it doesn't. It doesn't go straight into the old people sex after that, does it? It does a bit more after that, but they do end up. Back not in long. It's quite fleeting. I think about thirty seconds after that, Mia Goth does one, runs out the room, and then Howard finds her, and then they have a good old time. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, I'm not trying to try and read something to absolutely everything, but about these like young people just rushing out too quickly into life. Like General Ortega and Mia Goth are in the house together, and it seems like right, these two are going to survive. General Ortega just runs out the front door impetuously, shotgun to the face, dead. Oh, it's symbolic. It's a metaphor or something. <laughs> but then Mia Goth, she holds back and she waits. And she actually, just by taking a time, ends up surviving. I'd like to see it again just so I could process it a bit more and then go back and watch it and think, oh, there's actually quite a lot going on here. And not to be labelled what, what we've already said, but I've just realised now that maybe there's something in there about sex can be a corruptive thing because you've got General Ortega, who's a very innocent character, and another revelation towards the end of the film. She decides she wants to star in this adult film. She wants a scene all by herself, even though she seemed quite judgy in the beginning and a bit of a prude. As soon as that happens, it's like that marks the beginning of the end of her life because she has been corrupted by sex in some way it was it was the thing that basically put her in a grave i don't know what i'm saying anymore yeah, but you're no, right yeah, no i get i get what you're saying yeah i get what you're saying but it's not like a morality tale about how you should not be innocent it's, not that. <laughs> no. it's just it's just playing with those ideas and i really liked it and the more that we've spoke about it the more that i like it i think so i'm definitely going to revisit this when it comes out on streaming services a24 you can do no wrong mm-hmm. they've done it again Right, well, I, th- I think that's all I have to say. Do you have any other thoughts on this film? X, which is the letter X, not EX, as in an ex-partner. I yes. had to describe that to my stepmom. Mm. It doesn't mean 10 either. That wasn't even worth saying. <laughs> Thank you very much, dear listeners, for listening. And if you wish to support this podcast, you can always do so by leaving us a five-star review and rating on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you choose to listen to. On. Meant on. You can also follow us at In The Hours Podcast on Instagram and email us if you're feeling like you want to, podcast at gmail.com. James, what are we doing next week? As we thought, there isn't anything coming out that we want to see so we're going to do fresh starring sebastian stan and not daisy ridley daisy edgar jones yeah we're going to do that which is now available on disney plus so we'll watch that fresh which is not fresh by the time we'll review it james you know some listeners might be planning to up to a rural farmhouse and film a porno any advice just close the curtains so that you can't be seen by your angry hosts Bye. Bye.